Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. and thanks for making the investment of your time to be with me as we unpack the political and cultural issues that matter. Coming up, what on earth is going on in Canberra? How can the ACT government compulsorily step in and take over church property? I'm talking about the $200 million plus Calvary Hospital owned by the Catholic Church. If they can forcibly take a Christian hospital and replace it with a hospital that banishes Christianity from its wards, what other Christian institutions will the government uh, take just because they don't like that institution because it's Christians. Schools, aged care homes, why not your local church property if the government doesn't like what you preach? The precedent being set here is appalling. I'm sure Victoria's Dan Andrews is watching like a fox outside the hen house. Left-wing Victorian politicians have already flagged defunding pro-life hospitals there. In a moment, I'll be speaking with Father Tony Percy, the former Vicar General of the Archdiocese of Canberra and Goulburn and Chair of the Save Calvary Task Force. Father Percy was also a friend of the late and great Cardinal George Pell. I'll ask Father Percy what the Cardinal would have made of all this and, uh, this, out and this, of this outrageous government action and what it means for the culture wars and the future of freedom of religion in this nation. You won't want to miss that conversation. But first, I want to talk about something else that is equally, if not more, shocking than what's happening in Canberra. If the government takeover of Calvary doesn't wake us up to the reality of the animus of the radical left against Christians and mainstream Australian values, then perhaps this will. This is an image of, uh, that, sorry, this is an image that no one of my generation ever thought would be taken in Australia. It is of a woman being served with papers by the police requiring, requiring her to appear in court. They came to her home. Her crime? She has used social media to call out biological males playing soccer against girls and women. Now, surely this is the ultimate in misogyny. A woman speaks up for girls and women in the face of biological males with intact genitalia, demanding access to their sport and changing rooms, and then the police turn up on her door. Seriously? This outrageous injustice is because weak politicians have capitulated to the LGBTIQA plus political activists and constructed laws which cast doubt on whether it is still possible to tell the truth in this nation. The woman is a friend of mine. It's Kiralee Smith, and she's an advocate for girls, women, and children. And she's the spokesman for Binary, a campaign organization dedicated to the truth about gender and protecting children, especially from the harms of LGBTIQA plus gender fluid ideology. Uh, she's a regular on this program, and uh, our viewers will be aware of her. I have the privilege of serving on her board, and I want to be fully upfront about that. I'm 100% 
behind Kiralee. As a fellow activist who has his own legal battle with anti-free speech, LGBTIQA plus political activists, I feel great sympathy for Kiralee. But even more than that, I feel grief and even anger that something like this could happen in Australia. Here's what Kiralee said in an email to her supporters this week. I've never been violent, nor have I ever advocated violence against anyone. Yet in past weeks, I've been served with several applications for apprehended personal violence orders, APVOs, for campaigning for the rights of women in sport. Yes, that's right. It is now considered violence to speak up against the reality that women's sport is being threatened daily by the inclusion of biological males. And yet, it is happening with an increasing frequency. The consequences for female athletes are devastating. It is dangerous and unfair to allow males into female spaces, sports, services, and you and I should not be prevented from saying so." End quote. The only way for people like Kiralee and me to defend ourselves is to appeal to crowdfunding for legal defence. Please support Kiralee's legal defence by donating to Binary. That's binary.org.au. We must not let the LGBTIQA plus political activists silence people like Kiralee because that is how they silence you and me. The Family First political party is working to get principled people into parliament who will fight to change the unjust laws which allow the police to turn up on the door of people like Kiralee. Please become part of our political movement by signing up at familyfirstparty.org.au. Now, as regular viewers will know, I have Kiralee on the show each week to give us uh, to give uh, her insights into the war on girls and women. Now, due to scheduling conflicts that were of my making, not hers, uh, she's unable to join us this week, but she'll be back with us next week. And people of no faith saying, look, this is a blatant attack, and it's, a, it's an attack not only on the property rights of Calvary, the land, the property, the service mm. agreement, but it's also an attack on uh, the democracy of the country. I mean, property rights are foundational to a, a free and fair country. Now, as a former long-time resident of Canberra, I had occasion to avail myself of the services of Calvary Hospital. It's a wonderful institution and the care my family and I received was first class. I even spent a brief time in intensive care there following an operation due to complications from a water skiing accident, uh, entirely self-inflicted, but I digress. It's unashamedly Catholic, but religion is in no way pushed down the throats of Calvary's patients. Healthcare is simply delivered with that extra dimension of Christian care on top of the excellent professional medical care that's provided. The ACT government has long wanted to take over Calvary, but earlier this month moved suddenly and without warning or consultation announcing it would legislate to compulsorily acquire the entire hospital and its land worth hundreds of millions of dollars. That the ACT government uh, the, the ACT government will now march into the facility, into the premises on July 3 and take over the operations of the hospital. This will occur without any um, discussion about compensation uh, having been agreed or paid. Now, joining me now is Father Tony Percy, the former Vicar General of the Archdiocese of Canberra and Goulburn and the chair of the Save Calvary Task Force. Father Percy, thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks very much for having me, Lyle. Very, very grateful indeed. Oh, I'm grateful for your time. Um, uh, Father Percy, um, in the 200 plus years that the Catholic Church has provided health services in Australia, has anything like this ever happened before? The short answer is no, N-O. 
never seen anything like it before. Uh, what your viewers need to know is that they have suspended their normal standing order. So on the 11th of May, they put through the bill, the what is called the uh, infrastructure ACT Infrastructure Enabling Bill, 11th of May. And then on the 3rd of uh, July, they're going to do the compulsory acquisition, as you just referred to. So two things have happened there. One is they're going to say, well, there'll be no period of two months of discussion, which was put in there, I believe, by the Greens. So they're, they're saying those standing orders are going to be rescinded. So no reports, no discussion, no inquiries, just bang, ram it through. And secondly, and I think this is very telling, is that they're going to suspend their own ACT Land Acquisition Act of 1994, which describes how you're supposed to do compulsory acquisitions on just terms. So they've said, no, that, that doesn't apply here either. So what we've got here is a real problem. And your viewers need to know that if they can do this to a medical institution, they can do it to an educational institution, they can do it to anyone's suburb, any other community group, any street, anyone's house. So this is setting a precedent. So what the bottom line really is this, Lyle, is that governments can do compulsory acquisitions. We know that and we don't like it. We understand they can do it for the common good, in inverted commas, but they've got to do it according to their own rule of law and they've got to do it on just terms. For the ACT government to say, look, we're going to do the compulsory acquisition and then we'll talk about just terms, I mean, this is ridiculous. Yeah. It's against everything Australia stands for. So we've been saying we've got to get big people involved, we've got to get the Prime Minister involved, but your viewers can sign our petition, which now has about 28,000 signatures on it. The biggest one we've ever had was 1,200 to date. So this has exploded. But they've got a right to their state and, and federal members and say that the Prime Minister has got to get to bar and say, listen, you cannot behave in such a barbaric fashion. Unbelievable. Um, we'll come back to what people can do in a moment. Uh, it's, it is so important that we take action. But what you've just outlined there, uh, Father Percy, is just extraordinary. The lengths that they're going to uh, to uh, bend the rules and to uh, take over this um, uh, hospital is just extraordinary. Um, let's have a look a, a little bit at the uh, motivations that might be behind this. Um, in its Standing Committee Health Report released on the 10th of April of this year, the ACT government has cited as part uh, of its reasoning for the compulsory takeover is that Calvary, Calvary allegedly restricts some medical procedures and that uh, it is problematic due to an overriding religious ethos, end quote. Now, Archbishop Anthony Fisher, um, the Archbishop of Sydney, uh, has described the ACT government as having an anti-life agenda. Uh, Father Percy, is that the elephant in the room here? Is it because Calvary is pro-life that the government is going to these extraordinary lengths? Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, that, that report was the fruit of a whole consultation about how the government provided or does provide abortion services. And a lot of people had input into it. Okay, the report comes out, as you said, on the 10th of April, 2023. That's about a month ago. And on page two of that document, it says, look, Calvary doesn't perform abortions. But then it says, neither does the main public hospital, known as the Canberra Hospital, the TCH, neither do they perform abortions. That most abortions are performed all abortions are performed in medical practices around the city. And there's a very good reason as to why that's the case. It's because the doctors, if you talk to the doctors and the nurses, they don't like doing abortions. 
it's a specialized thing, unfortunately. And so that that's acknowledged. This is this is acknowledged. So then then at the back end of the report, they, the quote that you've just pulled out there, that's put in there that the medical services have an unusually religious overtone. And I've been making the point to say, well, no one's ever said that. Secondly, yeah. no one's ever said St Vincent's in Sydney's ever done it or the Martyr in Brisbane or the Mercy in, in Victoria. It's quite ridiculous. It's very ridiculous. So there's, there's got to be some sort of religious motive. There's, there's no doubt about it. They, yeah. well, I mean, Barr and, and his government, they're known as people that don't like uh, people of faith. But... Um, yeah, that, that makes it quite sinister, though. That makes it quite sinister, Father Tony. Um, uh, the fact that, uh, as you outlined, they're, they're changing all the rules, they're, they're rigging the situation so that they can do this. Um, they've come up with something that, that says there's an overly religious tone that, that they don't like, which no one's ever complained about. I mean, that's quite sinister. This is a blatant, uh, a blatant um, example of religious discrimination, it would seem. Imagine if they were doing this to, to any other group in society. Well, the point is they can do it. If they, if they get away with this by not following the rule of law, by not doing a compulsory acquisition on just terms, and the rule of law has been buckled, and you say, right, well, Nick, which next uh, educational institution is next? I mean, just have a, have a think about this scenario. So you've got religious school, you've got 18 independent schools here in Canberra, and let's say they start to say, well, look, we're not going to be teaching uh, gender transitioning, big topic at the moment. And we're not, going to be, we're not going to be promoting that because the science, the compounding scientific evidence, not the religious thing, but that would back it up as well, the compounding scientific evidence, which a lot of people are coming out with now, that's telling us it's very, very unwise to do this, particularly with children who haven't even reached puberty. Uh, imagine if they said that and then the government says, well, we don't like that. So we're going to, we're going to compulsory, do a compulsory acquisition on those terms as well. It can happen. Yeah. And it will happen. No, that's exactly right. And this is why this is everyone's fight. The fight that you're fighting is for all of us. Um, let's just turn to the ACT health system itself. Um, the Liberal opposition down there in Canberra in the Australian Capital Territory Government uh, Parliament has called for a royal commission into Canberra's public health system. Um, we know that waiting times have blown out. There are reports of bullying of nurses, toxicity in the workplace. Less than 50% of emergency department uh, patients are seen within clinically recommended wait times. Only 36% of urgent patients are being seen on time. It's the worst performing jurisdiction in the country as far as healthcare is concerned. I could go on. What business does the ACT government have in trying to take over a private hospital when the public system it runs is such a mess? Well, that, that you've outlined it perfectly. And that's what I said from the beginning. Why would anyone trust them to run another hospital when they can't even run the one they've currently got? That March review that you referred to in uh, March 20, 2019, that was an independent review about the whole culture of the place. I mean, that was scathing. That was damning. Incredible. And here we, everyone knows in Canberra that if you, if you want to get treated in an ICU, want to get treated in an emergency, don't go to the TCH. Go elsewhere. Mm. People in Queanbeyan, where I live, they say just go to Queanbeyan Hospital far better. Mm. You'll get treated far better than you will in Canberra. So it's a real problem. And it's, it's sort of, um, it's, it's just a nonsense argument. She came out, the minister, uh, and said, oh, well, we want a more integrated health system. Now, the first step that she did was to attack Claire, Claire Holland House, which is a revered institution for palliative care. She met, listen to this file, she met in a cafe, a boutique cafe with a few staff and said, oh, look, what we'll do here, the community palliative care will be done by us and you guys, Claire, Claire Holland House under Calvary, you look after 
the, the institutional care. So straight away, she's talking about an integrated health system, but the first step that she takes is to divide the whole show up the middle. So if those two elements are not talking correctly, so you can see the incompetence. They yep. don't even know the basics of how to run an organisation, let alone a medical institution. Yeah, no, a real worry. And you mentioned Claire Holland House, which is a wonderful uh, palliative care facility in the ACT. We were talking about the pro-life issue um, and, and the abortion issue as perhaps a motivation. Of course, the hospitals don't do abortions, yet that, that uh, doesn't seem to figure in their reasonings. But of course, euthanasia is uh, a big thing that the Labor government, the Labor Greens government there, uh, supported sadly by the Liberals. Uh, that's the next big thing coming to the ACT. And of course, uh, it would seem they'd also want to get rid of a hospital facility that uh, wouldn't be willing to uh, kill its patients by euthanasia. Oh, yes, I think that's right. The VAD thing's definitely on the agenda. And, um, you know, th this is forcing people to do VAD and all this sort of stuff. We're seeing it around the country. It's not the answer to anything. Have a look at no. some of the evidence in uh, the Netherlands and all those places where, you know, people think that just by following some simple procedures, injecting people with things that people die easily. They don't. Yeah. Because people that have worked in the area, and I've worked in the area for over 30, nearly 35 years now as a priest, when people at the end of death, death is a very a curious thing. It eludes people. You think people are dying and they're not. You forget how strong the body is, resistantly strong against death. So this is not a solution in any way. No, What's the solution is palliative care. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and look at um, this whole Calvary fiasco seems like uh, the way that the Barr government, the Barr Labor government and the ACT is trying to clear the decks for its uh, pro-death agenda, both at beginning and end of life. But uh, Father Percy, anyone who knows the history of modern hospitals and how they were developed uh, knows that they were not pioneered uh, by government, but by Christians and the church. Uh, and this started with uh, Florence Nightingale during the Crimean War. Australia's first hospitals were all founded by the church, not the government. Uh, is there a danger that a militantly secular government like that in the ACT will get away with creating a jurisdiction in Australia that is completely stripped of hospital care that provides professional health services with that uniquely Christian ethos, uh, essentially leaving the hospital system untethered from the history of modern health care? No question. And the universities are the same, Lyle. I mean, universities arose in uh, the 11th century and they've been coming at us and they're all motivated by the church to have reform work and proper education, the tying together of faith and reason. And, of course, the hospital system with the, the, the orders and different uh, faith communities, particularly different Christian faith communities, it's because of their fundamental belief in the dignity of the human person made in the image and likeness of God that therefore there's more than just the physical dimension of the person, there's the you know, body, soul and spirit. And uh, to, that's what's got to be cared for. Mm -hmm. a, this is extremely important point, yep. that we're not just you know, physically operating on someone, you've got to care for them as a human being, you've got to dialogue with them, you've got to talk with them. And this is so important and this will be lost and it is being lost. Yeah, it would be a real tragedy. We've seen how well the universities have gone since they kicked uh, God out of them. Uh, how much more dangerous to kick God out of uh, the modern hospital system. Now, um, Father Percy, I can't let you go um, without putting um, this issue in the wider context of the, the culture war that uh, is raging against Christians and mainstream Australians, mind you. Um, you were a friend of the late great Cardinal George Pell. Uh, what would he have made, and he, he was no stranger to the culture wars, that's why we admired him, he took them on, but what would he have made of the government grab for Calvary? Oh, well, he would simply say, fight. I remember George saying to me, 
look, uh, he was referring to some group that got rolled by some government thing, and he said they went down without a fight. He said, what a disgrace. So you've got to fight, and because if the shepherds don't fight, then the sheep don't fight. So then the leaders have to have to stand up and have courage, and and then in the process, you might not win every fight, every round, but uh, you gather a whole lot of people of goodwill who say, "Well, look, this is really this is this is an issue that's going to lead to further problems down this." So we we have to fight, and mm. and we have to fight clean, but we've got to fight, mm. and we've got to resist, and we're, we're looking at the erosion here of a free and fair country based on religious liberty. I mean, the constitution of this country is one of the most magnificent constitutions in the world. And section 116 deals with the whole question of religion, that there'll be no official religion, no compulsion in religion, no restriction on religion and no re religious discrimination. And the founders of the country weren't particularly religious, but they understood that if you don't defend this right, then you're not defending the freedom for people to search for the meaning of life. Mm. And so when this goes, everything else goes. Yeah, so when you say um, fight, and, and I, I can just hear Cardinal Pell saying that, even though I, I'd only met him personally a couple of times, but I was a great admirer of him. Uh, some Christians bristle at that sort of language coming from leaders in the church saying, well, you know, we should be seasoned with grace and, you know, the idea of fighting. Now, I know you're speaking in metaphorical terms, but um, what do you say to those people who, who think that that sort of language is a little bit over the top? I, I certainly don't think it is. I think you're exactly right. But um, this is something that many people <laughs> grapple with. Uh, how, how do you help oh, those yeah. people? Um, I'm sure you've come across them. Well, you and I are believing Christians, and we know that personally you have to fight to keep your faith. You have to struggle. Well, you can use another word, struggle, if you like. But, I mean, Paul says, I've, I've uh, fought the good fight towards the end of his life, that, that you get opposition to your faith, and you get not only from the visible things but from the invisible realities as well. And life is one gigantic struggle. And one of the beautiful things about life is the struggle and you don't always, uh, you're not always successful, but you get up from your failures and keep going. Yep. And people have to fight to save their marriages. People have to fight to save lots of things. And so this is really important. So including fighting yeah. politically in the public square. And, and, and I'm sure, you know, we as oh, Christians, no, Christian. but we as Christians, of course, we fight fairly. We, we play the issue, not, not the man. I suppose that's the difference. And we season our words with grace, even if they're robust. I'm sure you'd concur with that. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Um, you mentioned um, uh, leaders uh, being in the fight, pastors, um, priests. Um, you were uh, seconded by Cardinal Pell when he was Archbishop of Sydney to, to train priests. What would you say to priests today who, who might find these culture war issues um, you know, a bit tough, uh, might find it difficult to speak about these things from the pulpit. Uh, what, what's your message to, to pastors today about how they should address these tough issues, whether it's the transgender issue or the marriage issue or issues of life, um, religious freedom that we're talking about here? You know, many people just want to shirk and stay away from it. Many churches do. What's your message to pastors and priests? Hmm. Well, you've got to use, obviously, the gift of faith, but you've got to use the gift of reason as well. And so you've got to get yourself informed and talk sensibly into the issue. The second point I would make is that as a priest, you don't talk politically. You're talking about the social issue, and it belongs for people in government and in politics on the left and right and wherever they are to talk about it and approach the social issue as they see fit with their own conscience. But as a pastor, you're not trying to become political. That would be a major mistake. 
but you're saying if there's a social issue here, and this particularly is a social issue we, we're dealing with here because we're talking about a government overturning the rule of law, that's affecting everyone. Now, then you, you have to come at it as a pastor from your position of being a pastor, leader of the community. So, look, this is a really serious issue. Over to you guys with the grace of your baptism to actually fight this issue as you see fit. And some people have different approaches. So you've got to be quite careful, quite clear that you're not being a political animal. You're being part of the social fabric of the country with your faith. I think that's important. Uh, very sage and well said. Thank you for that. Um, Father Percy, uh, before we let you go, um, you've just written a book. There's two things we have to do before we go. You've got to tell us where to go on the website to, to sign up <laughs> yes. to Save Calvary. But, but firstly, you've written a book uh, which I've just ordered from uh, Connor Court Publishing online. I'm looking forward to getting a signed copy from you. Uh, but it's called, uh, you, you tell us the title and tell us what it was about. Yeah, it's a called Australia, What Went Right, What Went Wrong. It's a very brief monograph, 18,000 words, Lyle. It's based on David Kemp's monumental five-volume work, which is now complete on the uh, political and cultural history of Australia. The first volume is called The Land of Dreams. When I looked at it, I thought there's something really good here, something very important. His basic argument is in setting up the country, we didn't want an aristocratic conservative society. We didn't want a socialistic, utopian socialistic society. We want a free and fair country right up the middle. And that's what we achieved. And that's what's at stake here now. So your readers, I think, will enjoy it. It's uh, quite punchy and very informative. It's trying to get to young people to say, you've got to get involved in public and political life. Yes. We need you at this moment. So yeah. that's what went right in a nutshell, what went wrong? Yes, that's right. What went wrong? Well, a few things went wrong. I think that the White Australia policy, that was the first thing enacted in uh, the, the new federal government. And you ask yourself the question, well, a free and fair society is presumably colourblind. So I think that was, a, that was an error. The, um, the Aboriginal question, there's been, obviously that's, that's been documented now, not promoted by governments, but nevertheless, there was an issue there. But to a large extent, you can see that we've had a really successful, probably one of the most successful modern countries, if not the most successful in generating wealth and being able to distribute it. We've been able to put in place natural mechanisms that actually help produce wealth but spread it. And this is quite unusual, even for, say, when we compare ourselves to, say, other countries, modern they call themselves modern democracies, we're far better at doing that. And that's been a great achievement. Fantastic. Uh, as you say, this is um, particularly aimed at young people to help them see that not everything went wrong, uh, which is the narrative that we're getting from our media and our political discourse at the moment. Australia, what went right, what went wrong? Available from Connor Court Publishing. You can uh, Google that. They're a great uh, outfit and you can buy that book online. Uh, Father yes. Percy, what can people do to get in the fight for Calvary and for property rights and religious freedom, everything that's tied up with this massive government overreach? Yeah, well, there's a lot of stuff in the in the press. There's obviously www.savecalvary.com.au is important. They've got a right to their state members and the federal members and the Prime Minister, Rachel Stephen-Smith, pick up the phone and say, look, we don't like what you're doing. Let them know, pressure on them, and then that will be helpful. And I think the Prime Minister really has to get involved here because if we don't see some uh, exertion from the, the, the Prime Minister of the Federation, then... There's a problem here. This could spread down south to Victoria. We know what they're like down there. Uh, it could go north to Queensland. Yeah. Um, 
It, it may not go to the other places because Calvary actually is dealing very, very well with the Tasmanian government and the South Australian government. And, of course, the Premier in here in New South Wales has just said, look, the Catholics know how to run cemeteries. Let them run them. They do a far better job than we do. So he seems to be going the other way. be interesting to see whether um, the Premier wants to build a beautiful new hospital here in Queanbeyan to thwart the ACT government. If, if, if the ACT government doesn't want Calvary, then maybe the New South Wales government does. Yeah, well, let's see. Um, well, I certainly encourage people to uh, go to uh, savecalvary.com.au. And as you say, it doesn't matter where you live in Australia, we need your voice. Uh, get involved, call your local member of parliament. Everyone in the Federation in the whole country needs to get onto this issue because this would set a terrible precedent. And I'm sure Daniel Andrews down there in Victoria is looking at this like a fox in front of the hen house. Uh, Father Tony Percy, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and sharing your insights today. Great pleasure, Law. Thank you. With our cost of living through the roof, a problem entirely created by politicians here in Australia from both the Liberal and the Labor Party, Australia's pursuit of net zero emissions by 2050 has finally ignited a better debate about the feasibility and cost of transitioning to renewable energy sources. The Family First Party believes that achieving net zero without nuclear energy is unrealistic and that the Albanese government's existing policies, first pursued by the Liberals at state and federal le level, will fall well short of meeting climate targets. To achieve net zero emissions, the scale of investment in, renew in renewables required is unprecedented. Labor's climate change bill mandates a 43% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. That's just seven years away. Necessitating the erection, and listen to this, of 40 large wind turbines per month and 22,000 22, solar panels per day. Let me just say that again. 40 large wind turbines per month and 22,000 solar panels per day. Um, this is obviously not happening, and it's highly unlikely that it will happen. And, and this doesn't even take into account the um, thousands of miles of uh, wires, poles, cables uh, to get the electricity uh, to our houses uh, from, from the uh, rural landscapes that are going to have solar panels and, and uh, windmills put on them. Now, this monumental effort would demand immense volume of uh, materials, energy and equipment, as well as the training and mobilisation of hundreds of thousands of skilled workers. The magnitude of this transition should not be underestimated. It probably cannot be achieved. While the Albanese government has embraced renewables as the primary solution, uh, their policies fail to account for the challenges associated with the rapid transition away from fossil fuels. Coal-fired power currently provides approximately 60% of Australia's electricity needs. And sadly, this is being phased out very quickly without any proper replacement firmed power or baseload power. To meet the renewables targets, uh, renewables need to rise from supplying 30% uh, to over 80% of the country's power, requiring extensive infrastructure development and vast access to and access to sorry vast amounts of land. But even with this rise, the issue of how to keep the lights on when there's no wind or when it's dark that happens every <laughs> few hours uh, this hasn't even been addressed. The technology in batteries, etc., is non-existent. Uh, batteries can't run a modern city for any more than about five minutes. 
Now, given the significant challenges posed by the transition to renewables, nuclear energy emerges as the only realistic option to achieve net zero emissions. Nuclear power offers reliable and constant uh, energy source free from greenhouse gas emissions. Countries like Canada, China, the US, the UK have already embraced nuclear power, recognising its contribution to emissions reduction. Australia must follow suit and seriously consider integrating at least uh, small uh, modular nuclear reactors into the energy mix. These reactors are safe, cost-effective, and can be connected to the existing grids, allowing for a smoother transition away from coal, if that's where we want to go. One of the concerns raised against renewables is the potential for energy costs to become unaffordable. The rush to renewables has led to increased electricity bills, we all know it. And experts are predicting a 35% rise in power prices next year. The government's focus on renewable energy has resulted in an imbalance between the cost of replacing fossil fuel capacity with renewables. For every $1 billion of fossil fuel capacity, it would require an $8 billion investment in renewables. This cost burden is ultimately transferred to customers. It goes on to your electricity bill, making energy less affordable and for households and businesses. Now, the opposition leader, Peter Dutton's recent comments reflect a shift in the energy debate in this nation, bringing him closer to what Family First has been saying about nuclear energy uh, for many years. Dutton acknowledges that, that the interventionist nature of the Albanese government, and uh, this is where they've uh, in, uh, brought in uh, gas uh, price caps, etc. cetera, uh, and Dutton is advocating for the reversing um, the market regulatory interventions imposed on the oil and gas sector. And I agree with that. This aligns with Family First's belief that gas should continue to be used as a firming power source uh, for renewables. Family First welcomes Dutton's stance as it brings nuclear energy further into the political discourse and highlights the need for a balanced and pragmatic approach to energy policy. The rush to renewables and the massive investment required in infrastructure and transmission lines have contributed to these rising electricity bills. The cost burden of transitioning to renewable energy is passed on to us consumers, making it more challenging for families to manage their expenses and the same for small business. Now, while renewable energy may be important for a sustainable future, the hasty adoption without careful consideration of cost implications has put a strain on households and businesses alike. While the pursuit of net zero emissions may be laudable, it is essential to approach the transition to renewable energy sources with a realistic perspective. The Family First Party believes that achieving net zero without nuclear energy is unrealistic, given the magnitude of the challenge and the limitations of existing policies. Nuclear energy offers a reliable and emissions-free solution, and its integration into Australia's energy mix is necessary for a successful transition. The rush to renewables has had a significant impact on household electricity bills and the cost of energy, putting a strain on Australian families. It is crucial to balance environmental goals with affordability to ensure a sustainable future and a prosperous future for everyone. Well, that's it for me this week. Don't forget to check out all the amazing shows right here on HDH TV, Australia's leading conservative voices, people like Alan Jones, Fred Paul, Alexandra Marshall, and too many other great names to mention. They are all here and streaming and on demand on the ADH TV website, or better still, 
download the app. There's plenty of political commentary at the Family First website, familyfirstparty.org.au. I'm on Twitter at Lyle Shelton, and of course on Facebook and Instagram. Follow along and keep up with the debate. Until next week, keep speaking up.